Hello and welcome to the podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time for the Business Week ended 11th February 2022. This is Ian Haydock. This time, Scripps asks what 2022 holds for deal-making, Pfizer looks for transactions to add to its top line, Sanofi unworried about Jack threat to Dupixent, what information do healthcare professionals want from pharma, and Amgen looks to its established brands for growth. Following two record-breaking years for biotech fundraising, stock valuations are heading downwards. Biopharma executives and industry experts surveyed by Scrip anticipate Big Pharma executing more deals and acquisitions in 2022. In this second instalment in the Scrip Asks series, Eleanor Malone writes that, in the financing and deal-making space, they saw increased opportunities this year for Big Pharma to pounce on more attractively valued biotech firms and gain access to the advanced technology platforms and pipeline assets that they need to stay at the cutting edge of drug development. As Stephen Rosen, who's head of the corporate practice in London at law firm Cooley, suggested, we start 2022 in the rare position of the sector never having as high a profile amongst investors as it does today. There are more investors looking to invest in the biotech sector, and as we have seen larger funds raised over the last few years, so the ability to deploy significant funds, particularly with the tranched funding that is a frequent theme for companies in the sector, means that interest and therefore M&A opportunities are likely to continue. Executives stop short of talking of a bubble bursting, but biotech investment is not what it was in 2020 and early 2021. As COVID concerns ease, the biotech investment bubble will likely ease, with this trend seen most in non-COVID companies, who were able to ride the COVID boom, said Tyler Martin, who's chairman and CEO of vaccine technology developer Adjuvance Technologies. This will likely result in generalists leaving the sector, with resulting decreases in valuation and access to capital that were seen in our sector in the last 24 months. I expect there will be pressure on our sector in 2022. The wide-ranging article gathers multiple views from a range of people, so do check out the full version to see all the predictions. Pfizer has the cash to spend on business development, and CEO Albert Buller told investors the company is aiming to sign deals that will add $25 billion of risk-adjusted revenue to the top line by 2030. During the firm's fourth quarter sales and earnings call on 8 February, Pfizer's management outlined the current thinking on allocating the windfall of cash it has stockpiled. Jessica Mel writes that the success of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine Comirnaty and oral antiviral Paxlovid have strengthened the company's financial flexibility to do deals and stakeholders across the industry are wondering what Pfizer will buy or in-license next. As the company revealed during its fourth quarter earnings, 2022 is going to be a windfall of a year. The big farmer expects to generate more than $100 billion in revenue for the first time this year, including $32 billion from Comirnaty and $22 billion from Paxlovid, estimates that are actually considered conservative. There has been pressure for months for Pfizer execs to detail their intentions for business development. With fewer big deals across the industry recently, stakeholders have been pushing executives for more insight into what could be coming. Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson and Novartis are the three big farmers with the most firepower to do deals in 2022, according to a recent analysis by SVB Leering. While Pfizer's Covid franchise is firing on all cylinders, it's not clear how long that will last. 
and the base business is expected to enter a challenging period of patent expirations from 2025 to 30, when Pfizer is expected to lose blockbuster drugs like Zeljans, Eliquis, Ibrance and Extandi to generic competition. Our goal is to continue to be a growth company from 25 to 2030, despite the impact of LOEs expected during that period, CEO Baller told investors on the earnings call. Bringing in new assets that can ease the company through that period will be critical, and Pfizer already began picking up the pace of business development in 2021. The company highlighted nine key business development deals signed in that year during the presentation, compared to five in 2020 and just four in 2019. As Sanofi posts yet another stellar set of sales figures for its autoimmune mega-blockbuster Dupixent, CEO Paul Hudson has told Scrip that growth is set to keep soaring despite the arrival of competition in the US from oral JAK inhibitors in its key indication of atopic dermatitis. The French major's fourth-quarter revenues of 9.99 billion euros, which was up 4%, were dominated yet again by Regeneron Pharmaceuticals partnered Dupixent, which brought in 1.55 billion euros, a rise of 53% on the same year earlier period. The US contributed 1.17 billion euros of that, driven by continued strong demand in atopic dermatitis in adults, adolescents and children aged 6 upwards, and continued uptake in its other indications of asthma and chronic rhinosinusitis with nasal polyposis. However, oral competition to the injectable interleukin-4-13 inhibitor in the hot area of atopic dermatitis has finally arrived in the US, with the FDA recently giving the thumbs up to two JAK1 inhibitors, AbbVie's Rinvoc and Pfizer's Sibinco. Both drugs have demonstrated significant improvements in itch and skin clearance, and Sibinco also outperformed Dupixent on efficacy in a head-to-head -head trial. But Hudson told Kevin Grogan, in some ways, it's good to have competition. It keeps us on our toes and adds to the education and noise that in the end benefits patients. More time and effort is spent on that and we've been carrying the whole disease area on our own really, so that's okay. However, he flagged up the safety concerns that plague the JAK inhibitor class and which some observers believe will significantly restrict their competitiveness in the market. Both Rinvoc, which is also approved in the US for rheumatoid arthritis and psoriatic arthritis, and Sibinco were the subjects of a class-wide FDA review, along with Lilly and Insight's JAK1-2 inhibitor Olumiant, which is approved in the EU for atopic dermatitis. That review, which was spurred by a post-marketing study of Pfizer's older JAK, Zeljans, delayed the approvals of the other jacks for the skin disease, and Olumiant is expected to be rejected in the US shortly for this indication. Rinvoc and Sibinco were hit with black box warnings about increased risk of serious infections, mortality, cancer and immune system problems, major adverse cardiovascular events and thrombosis. Healthcare professionals may have turned more digitally savvy than ever amid the pandemic, but pharma hasn't quite delivered the goods so far in terms of effective or customer-centric engagement with physicians. A new global survey by Indigene, a global provider of healthcare solutions to the industry, indicates. The study, which covered 984 physicians across the US, Europe, India and China, revealed that 70% of HCPs felt that pharma companies' sales reps do not completely understand their needs and expectations. 
Additionally, 62% were swamped by product-related promotional content from the industry. Andrew Gangodi writes that physicians covered in the survey came with over a decade of experience and represented a wide spectrum of specialty areas ranging from primary care and emergency medicine to cardiology and oncology. Gaurav Kapoor, who's the co-founder and executive vice president of Indigene, told Scrip that the rise in the adoption of digital channels and remote interactions meant that HCPs had higher expectations from pharma companies and expected the same level of customer centricity that they experienced from digital native companies in other industries. Kapoor explained that in many cases the shift from in-person to digital engagement in the pharma industry was done in an accelerated manner and the deluge of content and an increase in the number of digital touchpoints had simply overwhelmed HCPs. As a result, the bulk of those in the survey experienced product-related promotional fatigue because of the large volume of content that companies had pushed to them. Specifically, the findings suggested that over 75% of HCPs were keen to receive content related to safety, efficacy, treatment guidelines, real-world evidence and clinical data. HCPs ask from pharma companies is clear. Share more educational content and less promotional content. They want pharma companies to share information that helps in enhancing their clinical practice and in delivering better patient care, Kapoor observed. Finally, Amgen executives told investors the story of how it grew to a biopharmaceutical company with 25 commercial brands across 100 global markets during an 8th February business review and laid out how it plans to write the next chapters of its growth. Including 2022, in which it expects revenue to total $25.4 billion to $26.5 billion versus $26 billion in 2021, the company said it expects revenue to grow at a compound annual growth rate in the mid-single digits through 2030, Mandy Jackson writes. However, most of Amgen's growth through the rest of this decade relies on established and recently approved products. Ripatha, or Tesla, Lumacras and Tezspire, as well as its growing portfolio of biosimilars, which all are well-known plot lines in the company's growth story. Those products also have a lot of ground to make up after Amgen reported on 7th February that 2021 revenue grew just 2%, boosted by revenue from a COVID-19 antibody agreement with Lilly, with product sales flat year over year. Analysts were sceptical in initial assessments of the longer-term guidance that Amgen would be able to reach its growth goals, especially given the emphasis on the PCSK9 inhibitor Repatha, which was approved in the US in 2015 to lower LDL cholesterol in adults with high hopes for blockbuster sales. However, the drug did not reach that threshold until 2021, when sales totaled $1.1 billion, up 26% from 2020. Rapatha is expected to become a multi-million dollar franchise into 2030. However, we lack clarity on achieving those revenues near term, as it took five years to get to one billion in sales, Truist Securities Analyst Robin Karnauskas said in a note. Nevertheless, Amgen has demonstrated an ability to excel in the PCSK9 inhibitor market relative to its longtime competitors Sanofi and Regeneron, which co-developed Praluent which was also approved in the US in 2015. Novartis's twice-yearly PCSK9 inhibitor Lecvio, approved in the US at the end of last year, will challenge both products in 2022. 
In 22, we want to make sure that we are on the right trajectory for Repatha and continuing to penetrate the huge undertreated population of cardiovascular patients with persistent high levels of LDLC, despite statin therapies and all the other therapies and not being at goal. Amgen Executive Vice President of Global Commercial Operations, Murdo Gordon, told Scrip. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Log in to Scrip to access these stories in full, which are also linked in the article accompanying this podcast, and also to get access to much more content. If you're not a subscriber, take a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.